Good morning. It is a Thursday morning, uh, and we are uh, at the end of September here. I guess it's what the second day of, of fall, some along those lines. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, want to thank you all again for your faithful leadership, for uh, how you care for your missional communities, I want you to uh, please know that I never take you for granted. Um, and uh, I am I am very aware of how blessed I am to have uh, you as a leadership team, uh, men and women who, um, who are... Uh, who are faithful, who love, who love Jesus, who love their neighbors, um, and who love me and have my best and Amy's best and Ethan and Libby's best in mind at all times. And, uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you for being you guys. I really, truly appreciate you. We are starting a new, uh, conversation series this week. And, uh, we are diving into the letter of James, uh, and so kind of the, the series or whatever is called uh, Faith Alive, um, the uh, images, if you want to use those to try to, I don't know, market it or have you, <laughs> if, if that's what's, if that's, if that's your bag, uh, I threw some, some images into the Google Drive folder, uh, so they're there for you, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is a little longer one, even though the even though James is a relatively short letter, uh, it's it's unique. It's it's kind of got this wisdom literature feel to it. Uh, the the sections of it uh, are small and rapid fire, and uh, so I think we're I think we're looking at uh, 15, 15 conversations out of out of this letter. Each one is very much standalone. Uh, so while I think I think the overarching theme of the letter of James is a living faith. What does it look like to have a faith that is alive and one that's not simply uh, just a mental or intellectual ascent? Uh, each one of these conversations is is kind of its own deal. Uh, they don't necessarily build on one another um, like a lot of the other. Uh, letters or other texts. So we're going to work through each one, and uh, I hope I hope this is uh, going to be helpful for you guys. I hope that uh, the letter of James becomes one of those uh, letters that that you appreciate because we're going to spend some time in it. And uh, I know, as I have been reading and processing and thinking about this letter, it's it's one that uh, I am definitely appreciating more and more because it's just so real. It is so like earthy, and um, it is. I don't know. I don't know the right words, um, but it's just. Uh, I don't know, it, it's it's rooted. It's grounded, I guess. And uh, I I feel like this is this is one of those letters that's for for people who who are on the way for pilgrims. Pilgrims on the way, and uh, yeah, uh, so this is this is good stuff. Um, 
So before we get to our passage this morning, uh, which is James 1, 1 through 8, uh, let me give you a little bit of background, right? Um, so the author is most likely Jesus's brother, James. Uh, this has been the traditional view. There's some pushback uh, now, you know, there's some modern commentators that, uh, you know, that, that kind of push against uh, the traditional perspective. Um, you know, I, as, as I read through the arguments, I, I don't think they're, they're that good. Um, I, I think that the traditional, uh, the traditional understanding of this being authored by, by James, Jesus' brother, uh, makes the most sense. Uh, he, after the resurrection, uh, James became kind of the de facto leader of the Jerusalem church. And, uh, you know, that's, and the other thing that's interesting about this, uh, and so, so, so because of that, he was, he was kind of the Jewish, the Jewish leader, right? He was kind of the leader of the Jewish, uh, Christian sect, uh, early on, um, and so even here in the, the opening of this letter, he's, the letter is ascribed to or uh, uh, addressed to the 12 tribes. So he is, he is intentionally writing to Jewish Christians. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this is uh, the, the wording of this letter is very much pointed to uh, the words of Jesus. So there are a lot of allusions, references to uh, the wording of Jesus in this letter, probably more so than any other letter we have in the New Testament. Uh, and it resembles very much the wording of Matthew. Matthew uh, was uh, is probably the most Jewish uh, writer uh, of the gospel. So uh, it it kind of fits together, right? And um, so I think thing that makes the most sense. Uh, the genre, uh, it's technically an epistle. It's technically a letter. Like I said before, though, it reads a lot like a uh, wisdom book. And uh, it just kind of, so just, it's rapid fire insights into Christian living. It, it almost feels like someone sending out, like, um, you know, sending along all they've learned uh, over their lives, passing on to those they love and care about. So. You know, I say that uh, because that's just how it feels, right? This is uh, this letter was was not necessarily written near the end of his life or anything along those lines, um, but it just kind of has that rapid fire uh, feel. Which, you know, if we understand the context of him writing to a people who were being persecuted, who were, uh, you know, experiencing some significant hardships, which, you know, I think we we definitely see that right from Jump Street, um, then it makes sense that he's not, that he's not waiting. Um, this letter is uh, very much focused on practicality. It's, you know, he says it's, it's about, you know, it's about living the word, not simply believing the word, right? He, he calls, he calls people to be doers. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of this letter of, all right, we, we believe this. Jesus has risen from the dead. Let's get after it now. Let's let's live let's live this different life. Which, you know, when you think about him writing to a group of people who uh 
who had the you know who had the Old Testament, um, who were who were versed in the scriptures and now had this kind of completion, this fulfillment of the scriptures in Jesus. Uh, this kind of letter makes a lot of sense, right? Um, we've, we, you know, basically saying, all right, we know the end of the story. We, we, we have the Messiah. The, the story is complete. Let's go. Let's, let's start living this life. We've been waiting to live all of these years. Um, so, so that makes sense. Uh, the recipients I've already mentioned, um, you know, probably written to Jews, uh, who were spread out all over the place, um, this is known as uh, this is one of the it's known as, as universal or general letters. Um, Catholic one of the Catholic letters. It's kind of put in the same group as First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, so, uh, so we got so we got that going for us, right? Uh, so that's 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 the it's uh, the audience. The date of this was probably written. Uh, before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, which means that it was probably written before uh, AD 48 or 49. Um, why? Well, uh, because in this, in chapter 2, he discusses uh, a misinterpretation of Paul's teaching on ju- justification. And so most of the commentators think that he's, he's addressing this, this idea that had kind of been floated out and, and, was, and was being talked about and. uh so that's, and it gets clarified at the Jerusalem Council. Um, so if if he were still writing this after the Jerusalem Council, it wouldn't make a lot of sense uh, because he had already, you know, that, that teaching by Paul had already been clarified. Um, the other reason we, we place this, uh, you know, early, you know, before uh, 40, 48 or 49 is that there was a severe famine in Judea uh, around AD 46, and uh, that would point to the kinds of hardships that James is discussing, right? So, um, so this is a pretty early, this is a pretty early letter, guys. This is a, this is a letter, uh, you know, potentially within the first, right around the first decade after Jesus. Uh, and so, so that's pretty cool to think about that you're reading a text, uh, potentially, uh, most likely from uh, only a decade or so out from from the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All right, uh, so where are we going? Let's, let's take a look here. Verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered through the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All right, so uh, what do we have here? Um, Well, uh, First, uh, his statement that he is a servant, or uh, you know, the literal literal translation would be slave uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus. Uh, this is the uh, pretty standard uh, nomenclature of leaders within the church at the time. 
Uh, this is how they would describe themselves very specifically. So he's actually, by, by using this language, by applying this title to himself, he is, uh, he, is, he is putting himself in a position of authority. Now you have to the 12 tribes. Uh, this, this is what uh, shows us uh, that he's probably writing to Jewish Christians, right? Uh, this reflects the historical origins of Israel from the, the 12 sons that become the 12 tribes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so, you know, what we see also here, uh, and what would be helpful for us to understand, is that through the prophets, um, when they when they talked about the 12 tribes, oftentimes they were... Uh, they they would be giving hope um, that God would reconstitute the twelve tribes through the Messiah, and uh, you know this is uh, you know this is this is kind of what we're seeing here, right? So so in a sense, James is saying is that he's writing to the true people of God, and that they are in the last days. That the twelve tribes uh, are. Are, are, are a thing again, basically. Um, so uh, that was that was some uh, kind of language that was used uh, in uh, in second ten during second temple Jerusalem second temple um, period. Right is uh, this this language for for the Jewish people pointing to the last days. Now I think that. Uh, Verses 1 through 8 do kind of set the tone for the letter. Uh, James is writing to people who are going through significant trials. Uh, they're probably going through some persecution. They may be going through the famine that we talked about already. And, um, and so his call here is to consider the experience of trials as pure joy. Uh, so before we dive into this, uh, I do want to encourage you that as you teach this, uh, as you open this up to folks, is to really kind of acknowledge the reality that some people may be going through some really hard things. That there there may be some people uh, in your community that are uh, going through significant trial. And we have to understand here that the word trial uh, can mean a couple things. It can either mean inner or outward hardships. Inner would be like temptation to sin, that kind of thing. Outer is, is just the, the hardships of life that we face. And contextually, it makes the most sense that he's talking about outward hardships. And so there may be people who are going through some tough stuff. And while what we're going to talk about today is theologically true, right? Um, it, it provides a proper theological understanding of and perspective on going through hardships. Uh, it is not, this is not kind of the pastoral uh, thing to say to somebody in the midst of their hardship. So acknowledge that. Acknowledge that, um, that you understand uh, what you're communicating here is not, um, you know, is not meant to, to minimize uh, the, the hardships that people are walking through. Um, this is not meant to be platitude, um, but but it does it does try to open up a deeper understanding of the of the hard things that we walk through 
together. Um, so, so he he says this. He says that that we are to experience these outward hardships, these trials, um, uh, as as pure joy. And uh, and he says it's because uh, in verse three that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? And so when he uses this language, he is connecting this back to things like Abraham. Um, and we'll see Abraham come back later in, in the letter. Uh, but, uh, you know, Abraham was, you know, he was tested. His faith was tested uh, by, by God's call to sacrifice Isaac. And, you know, this, this, is, this was seen as kind of the ultimate test of faith. And so by using this language, James is calling back, calling back that story and saying, hey, as you walk through hard things, you are being tested. Your faith is being tested. And in that, that testing produces perseverance. And he says, let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, so what do we have going on here? Well, this idea of lack. Uh, what, lacking what? Well, I think, I think lacking, lacking a mature faith, right? We, we won't know. We won't know what it's like. Um, we don't, we don't know what it's like. We don't know how, uh, we, we don't know how our faith is going to stand up. We don't know if our faith is real, if it's mature until we go through hardships and see how we respond. And, uh, and he's saying, hey, when you walk through the hard stuff of life, your faith gets tested and it gets stronger. And, and, I, think, and I think, you know, we need to realize that as we walk through the hard things, the, the bullcrap aspects of our faith, the stuff that doesn't really matter, it gets burned away. It gets removed. It gets pruned off. And we get closer and closer to the, to the, the heart of, of faith. Um, this this word perseverance um, is, in the Greek uh, conjures up the idea of the picture of somebody carrying a heavy load for a long period of time. It's like bearing up under this weight. And, and so you get stronger and you get stronger. And we have to endure it. And, uh, and as we do, we grow up, we become mature. We're, we're, able, we're able to handle... The hard things we we don't handle hard things well, the first time we handle it, the first time we walk through it. Uh, our faith, our faith needs maturing. Our faith needs strengthening. Our uh, our faith needs uh, our faith needs needs to to kind of keep being refined. And this is what he's saying. Right, um, and so the perseverance helps our faith become mature. It helps us reach a place where where we're stronger in our faith. Um, and so, so we need. We, he's trying to give perspective here that testing, that hardship, uh, is not necessarily bad. And this is why he says, consider it pure joy, right? Consider it pure joy 
that your faith is being tested, that you get to walk through uh, hard things because you are being matured, you are being grown up. Um, there is this song uh, called uh, called the Almost Maybes, right? And uh, this 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 guy, you know, he's singing about. Um, He's singing about how, you know, yeah, it stinks when you go through uh, the heartache and all that kind of stuff. But he's like, hey, if it weren't for these almost maybes, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have sad songs. We wouldn't have, uh, we would we wouldn't have a lot of things. When we go through hardships, a lot of good things come out of them, and and oftentimes we don't see it until at the end of the process. And so we need to trust the process that we're in. The almost maybes bring us. Uh, bring us to a to the place where where we get to uh, experience joy. Uh, you know that famous theologian Garth Brooks, right? He uh, he wrote his song uh, "Unanswered Prayers." Same idea. Um, or those great theologians, Rascal Flatts, and uh, in their song "God Bless the Broken Road," and. Uh, you know, we, we walk down these broken roads. We walk down these, these heartaches, this pain, the testing, the trials. And we come to the end. Uh, we, we come to a place of, of joy uh, as, we, as we come to maturity. Uh, because we're, we persevere. We hold up. We bear up. And, uh, and we get stronger because of it. All right, so that, that's kind of part one. Part two of this uh, passage starts in verse five. And he's, and he's talking about wisdom. What do we need wisdom for, right? Well, we need wisdom to give us perspective. We need, we need the wisdom to see uh, that there's more going on here. Uh, we also need the wisdom, I think, to know that, that we're not alone, that, uh, that, we can, that we can trust and we can, we can turn to others. Uh, and that, that's a theme he picks up uh, at the end of his letter. But I think... I think here, uh, the other thing he says, and he says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Uh, because the one, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. You should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This word that gets translated double-minded uh, is dysikos, uh, is, 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 is how we would pronounce it. Two-spirited. Um, and... And I think what I think what James is getting at here is do we believe do we believe that God will answer this prayer of wisdom because because he says God God will give this he will give you wisdom if you ask for it do you believe it if you believe it then trust it I think he's saying you can actually trust yourself you can trust you can trust when you have asked for wisdom that you will receive wisdom and you can move forward in light of that truth. So many, so much of, of, of evangelical Christianity especially tells us that we can't trust ourselves at all. That we can't, uh, you know, every, everything about us is deceitful and bad and that kind of thing. If that's the case, then how do you know if you've received wisdom, right? Everything becomes second guessing. Everything, uh, you know, leaves us in a place of instability. What James is saying here is, did you pray and ask God for wisdom? If you did, you can trust. You can trust 
what you think is wise. Because God has answered that prayer and God has given you this. He has given you the wisdom. Trust yourself. Rest in those decisions that you are making. Um, Believe that you have indeed received wisdom. We can trust it. So how does that relate to, to the first half? Well, because faith, faith is necessary for wisdom. When people have walked through hard things in life, when people have walked through the dark night of the soul, when people have entered into the sorrow of life, they become wise. They become wise. And why do they become wise? Because their faith has been tested and has been strengthened and has been shown, has been shown to be real. And they, they come to a place where they, they trust that God has answered this prayer. They trust that God has indeed given them wisdom. And they live out of that wisdom. And that, that, that shows maturity. That shows that there is no lack anymore. Right? How... Do, do you trust, do you trust the wisdom that is in you? That requires faith. That requires faith. It also requires us to believe that the Spirit of God is at work. All of this gets tied back into our theology, right? If we believe God does things, if we believe that God is at work, if we believe that God is active, if we believe that when the scriptures say God will give you wisdom and he will, then why do we doubt it? Why do we doubt it? Why do we question it over and over and over again? We can trust our gut. We can trust the wisdom that is in us. Let us have faith in that. Let us be rooted and grounded in this reality and move forward. That is what James is arguing for, I think. Um, so I guess my, I guess the, the thing to wrestle folks to wrestle with is as you're walking through trials, as you're walking through tests, as you're walking through hardship, how are you doing it? Are you setting your face towards the end of the process and saying, I, I am in the midst of this and I will suffer well and I will suffer well knowing, knowing that at the end, at the end, there will be wisdom and there will be maturity and there will be strength. I can, I can, I can set my heart and my mind to the end of this. Or do we just get so caught up in the moment that we miss that, that we're, that we, we can't, we can't enter into the process. And again, and again, when somebody is in the midst of this, that is not the time to put your arm around them and say, Hey, I know you're going through this really this really crappy time, but consider it pure joy. That's not the time, right? No, the time is when you're not in the midst of that to look, to prepare, to set your mind already towards the reality that when you go through hardship, when you go through pain, when you go through trial, that that it is purposeful. That it that it has some sort of meaning, that it has some sense of, of perspective and process to bring you to the place of maturity. 
The almost maybes are worth it, he says. All right. Um, hey, I hope that helps. I hope, I hope as you are preparing for this, uh, this, this helps you think through things. And uh, yeah, again, if there's anything else that you need uh, in these podcasts that would be of help to you, please let me know. And uh, I'll be sure to add them. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. We appreciate you. And uh, until next time, love well, my friends.